With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, everybody. Matt here. Just want to say that this very special Save This City podcast is in conjunction with another great podcast, The Film List, which you can find on iTunes and find a great variety of film and television discussion if you listen. Also, if you have a list that you would like to send Heath with your own personal favorites of films or television, please send it to him, thefilmlist at gmail.com. In addition, I have to issue a spoiler warning. This podcast does discuss every single Marvel Cinematic Universe film that has been released so far and the trailers for Captain America Civil War and for Doctor Strange. So... If you don't want to be spoiled about any of those films because you haven't seen them or you don't want to know anything about the upcoming films like Civil War and Doctor Strange, then this might not be your podcast. Just saying. And most of all, thanks for taking the time to listen and we hope you enjoy. And welcome to the Save This City podcast, a very special episode of the podcast. Uh, for you DC fans, you may be calling us traitors, but we're all fans of superheroes, right? That's the big thing. And this special podcast, we're taking a look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going to look at all of the films that have been made so far that are specific uh, to a certain franchise, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, and we're also going to be taking a look at our expectations for the Captain America Civil War movie, which is coming up very soon. And there's nobody better that I could think of to talk about all of this stuff than someone who's not only an expert in DC stuff, but also an expert in all Marvel stuff, um, as well as many other big franchises uh, that have endeared us in many ways. And I've had the pleasure over the years of talking to this guy on podcasts like The Film List, like on the Lost Revisited Now, all, both by our mutual friend uh, Heath Solo. And uh, it's a pleasure to bring, you'll find him on Twitter, at Glenn Ewing on Twitter. We welcome Glenn Ewing for the first time to Save the City podcast. Glenn, thanks so much for joining me, man. Matt, it's a great pleasure. And I am by no means a DC expert. <laughs> Marvel, I know my stuff, but uh, DC, I'm... I'm uh, I'm red, but not well versed. <laughs> well, you'd start, at any rate, as the listeners of this podcast know, I very rarely even dove into the comic books. So if you know anything from the comic books, save maybe the Dark Knight graphic novel, um, then you know more about DC than I do. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> but uh, I, I enjoy the television shows that are being produced right now. That's the only reason I do this podcast. 
Um, but it's a, a fascinating prospect because we probably would be doing a podcast like this on the film list, uh, with Heath if we had a chance. By the way, uh, the film list at gmail.com. If you have a list, send it to him. Should say that, right? Absolutely. But, uh, we probably would be having this kind of discussion at, at some point on the film list anyway. Uh, and I kind of wish that Heath was here to join us, but I, I just couldn't figure out if I could make my schedule work with his. Um, the main thing that we're here to talk about, uh, I guess is really just kind of our favorites about the Marvel universe. And we had to kind of limit the films that we're looking at because of different kinds of franchise tags that we chose, you know, whether they're part of the cinematic universe or not. Um, could you further explain that to the listeners of this podcast as to why we don't have a Spider-Man or an X-Men or a Fantastic Four included in our discussion today? Absolutely. And actually, Spidey creeps in a little bit, but towards the end there. But um, early on, Marvel was hurting financially, and they started leasing out properties uh to movie studios so that the studios could make features and the deal was almost universally they had to make a, a feature within seven years or the rights reverted back to marvel so currently well going all the way back hulk was at universal uh blade was at new line warner punisher was at Lionsgate. ghost rider was at columbia sony daredevil Electra were both at fox man thing was at Lionsgate. Um, Universal had Submariner, Sony had Spider-Man, Fox had the Fantastic Four, and they also had X-Men, which includes pretty much everyone under the title Mutants, like Deadpool, things like that, which is why in the MCU they're not using that term. They're calling them gifted. Mm. Um, but currently, the only ones I know that Marvel, that haven't gone back home to Marvel, are the Fantastic Four, X-Men, and everything under that title. Uh, Spider-Man is with Sony. And I believe Submariner is still at Universal. Kevin Feige said something in 2014 that it was still over at Universal. But other than that, Hulk, Blade, Punisher, all those guys I mentioned have all come back to Marvel and their properties that Marvel can utilize on television or features. Excellent. All right. Well, that, that explains why you won't hear your favorite X-Men movie uh, discussed in in our, our discussion today, folks. Um, thanks again, Glenn, for... How, I, that's kind of the kind of knowledge that I would have no idea about. So I'm glad that you you're up on all that stuff. Uh, but why don't you tell me just to start out with um, what got you into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I mean, were you a comic book fan before all of this, or did the films just leap out at you more than say like the DC films? Or what? How did you get so obsessed with this? Well, obsessed compared to say somebody like me, I guess. Well, it. I grew up with comic books. I grew up reading. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, January 1976, Captain America 193 came out. And comic collectors might know the cover. It's the Captain America Mad Bomb by Jack Kirby. Kirby. And they ended up making it into notebooks and things like that for school kids. That was the first comic I bought three copies of. One to read and take notes on. <laughs> And two more to put away and keep. That's 76. <clears throat> I've always been uh, a Marvel comic collector. I read DC. Aquaman was always my favorite. Green Arrow. Um, once Batman started getting more serious, I started reading some more Batman. But Wonder Woman and Superman were right there. Flash. 
Um, but with Marvel across the board, there was a point in, geez, probably the early end of the eighties, early nineties, where I literally had to stop buying comics because I went to the comic shop and I was buying everything that came out and I was spending too much money on it. So I, I gave my collection, which included all the old Marvel star Wars, all the feature releases Marvel did like Raiders of the lost Ark and all those movies back in the eighties. Um, I just gave them to a buddy of mine who still collected and he had a house to store them. Um, so I stepped away from it. But I, we dressed as the characters for Halloween when we were kids and we had the yeah. Miko figures and it shifted slightly May 25th, 1977, but it was always there. <laughs> um, I was always, always into comics, always into the characters. Cap was always my number one. Um, still is. And, um, once the MCU started getting some teeth, I, and, and, um, I played around at Comixology. I hadn't really gotten into it, but I got reinvigorated and I probably got, I buy my Marvel books, my comics anyway. So they're in my catalog and I can go back and reference them digitally. But, um, I probably got about 2,500 books in there now. Wow. Since, I mean, that's maybe four or five years of going back and reading stuff. I've read almost the entire Captain America run. Um, most of Thor, most of Daredevil. Most of the Avengers, um, the, uh, I, it's just the digitals are so much easier. They're all right there when I need them. That's true. That's true. I just recently subscribed to, uh, Marvel Digital myself, mainly because I, I wanted to see if I could get some context for this next, uh, Captain America Civil War movie that was coming up. Um, and that brings me to another question real quickly is you have, you are such a connoisseur of all of these, uh, comics themselves, just generally overall. And I know that, uh, with each film, there are probably distinct differences that you may like or dislike, but, um, have you been pleased with the way that, uh, the films have brought the comics that you are so in touch with, uh, to film, uh, do the, does it excite you to see certain things realized or certain things, uh, does it disappoint? Does some aspects of their takes disappoint you one way or the other? There have been, yeah, there've been parts that, um, and, and we can get into that a little deeper moving forward, but there's parts where I was like, why, why would you do it this way instead of that way? But I understand why it's just, it tugs at the heartstrings. Gotcha. Well, I, I will just say that, um, again, Marvel was something I really didn't pay much attention to until really the last five years or so. Um, I didn't even see, I don't think Iron Man until maybe 2011 on a TV screen somewhere, you know? Um, so I was totally without, and I, I just fell in love with the movies as they've gone along. And I, I really, um, that has generated me kind of backwards in the way of you into where that now I am kind of getting into the comic books a little bit, at least in terms <laughs> of the Marvel universe. So I really like that. And I, I personally don't have enough experience in the comic book universe to know whether things should really bother me or not. I just like them in the way of the same way that I've looked at television shows and other films. It's like, does it, does it make me feel something? Does it, does it make me root for certain people or root against certain people? Um, does it, does it hit me on a level that makes me want to see another, uh, installment of that particular franchise? 
And I, I've really enjoyed most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, a great deal, um, including the casting uh, of some of the roles. And, and this may be one of the aspects where we're getting into where you may say something was a disappointment. Like, for me, one of the most satisfying casting of the roles, even though I've started to read the comics and I definitely see a, a big difference in the writing take on Tony Stark, but having Robert Downey Jr., as the guy who really kind of launches this Marvel Cinematic Universe when they started taking back over all of the all of the franchises, um, I, I think that that was a perfect casting for me. I can't think of a more solid actor, um, despite the the kind of neurotic take that they have Tony Stark have. Um, that to me is more in the writing, but Tony uh, Robert Downey Jr. just brought Tony Stark completely to life for me. I never was into Iron Man, and now I'm into Iron Man. You know what I'm saying? I completely, completely agree. They are, uh, beyond a doubt, just destroying it with casting. I mean, I, I, I typed up a little list here, and I'm just looking down through the names. Uh, Robert Redford, Anthony Hopkins as Odin yeah. is mind-blowingly perfect. Yes. Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. Um. When you know the character and you know how Hank Pym hates pretty much everybody and Douglas just plays it perfectly because he's, he's, uh, the reason he's so, um, I guess angry or impatient with people is because he's so brilliant and he can't believe nobody can see what he sees. And Robert Downey Jr. plays Tony Stark that way, but he plays it in a way where he's dismissive. Michael Douglas is just like, get away from me. He's awesome. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hugo Weaving is Red Skull. Spader is Ultron. Uh, we've yet to see the performance. We've seen a bit of the trailer, but uh, Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange. Ah, oh, I, I mean, they're just not only do they uh, they represent the, the comic adaptions visually, but they're in, they're nailing the characters. Benicio del Toro is the Collector. Uh, Ray Stevenson as Volstagg was genius. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, the list just keeps going. Um, definitely for looks, the ones that got me really pumped were, uh, Neil McDonough as Dum Dum Dugan. He looks spot on. Um, Toby Jones as Zola. Um, Emily Van Camp as Agent 13. I, they're, they're just nailing it. Chris Evans initially, I thought in First Avenger, I don't think he really, his feet were comfortable in the boots yet, but come Winter Soldier in the Avengers, it's, it's, he's Cap. He really is. And Hemsworth right out of the gate when they first showed the pictures, I'm like, that's Thor. That's always been Thor. Really? Yeah, he, I thought he looked just like him. For me, uh, Thor would be one of the, the least satisfying for me. And I, I don't want to slam it or anything. It's not that. It's still a very enjoyable character. Those blonde locks just look so weird on him. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> yeah, they See, do to I me. He, he does, I didn't know him. He, I didn't know him from anything before. He, he just looks, uh, well, uh, and I don't know, maybe that is his, even his natural hair color, but it just seems weird, especially when I'm looking at uh, a new film that's coming up soon, uh, the uh, Hunter Winter Soldier, or not Winter Soldier, but Winter Something, um, that has Nicole Kidman in it and everything, and I look at, yeah. I look at Hemsworth in that 
trailer and I say, that looks look more like the real him to me than him as Thor. Um, he's certainly built for it. God, the guy has yeah. got, uh, he's ripped, <laughs> man. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. And I, I, I don't mind his acting. I think that he does a great job with the role. It's just that, um, I don't know when I, every time I see Thor in a, like an Avengers poster or in, uh, uh, or in one of the the Thor movie posters, it, it's just one thing that sticks out to me and goes, "Is, is that Thor?" <laughs> yep. Um, but that's just me. So you know, uh, well, do you have any that you've been disappointed in? In the way that they came out in the movies, uh, Ben's Ben Kingsley is the Mandarin. Mm. That whole storyline, I thought Ben Kingsley was perfect. He looks like the character, and. The way that shakes out in the movie, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, Glenn Close as Nova Prime. And the only reason I was disappointed is there wasn't enough. Um, I was so excited they were going to have the Nova Corps in Guardians. And they're just, yes, they were in there a lot, but they weren't in there enough for me. I love the Nova Corps. Um, and she's awesome. And I hope she's going to be back. And I hope they spin that off maybe through Captain Marvel or something. And, and bring more of the, the Nova into the front in Marvel, because that's an awesome group. Um, and uh, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson as, as uh, Quicksilver, mainly because of his fate, which I think is kind of Marvel trying to avoid the confusion with Fox, with the X-Men. Okay. Because Quicksilver's also in the X-Men movies. And quite honestly, they did it. I think Fox did it better. Okay. Um, but... Yeah, when, when, uh, with what happens with Quicksilver and Marvel, I'm like, oh, he's such a good character. Why are you doing that? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know. Right on. Is there any that you just really didn't know until after you saw the film that you were surprised or, or pleasantly surprised or not so pleasantly <laughs> surprised by? There's a, a ton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, right out of the gate, Mark Ruffalo is the Hulk. I think everybody had questions with hmm. and, once we saw him, he's awesome as Bruce Banner. Um, Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Oh yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, Chris Pratt as Star Lord, I thought was fantastic. And Guardians were a little unusual a situation because there weren't that many books and I'd read what there were and I wasn't, I had no idea where they were going to go with the movie. And we'll get to that when we rank them, but, um, I, I was on the fence with, uh, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. I thought he was outstanding. I thought he got the character down perfectly. Um, Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer. I was like, I don't even know if the guy can act. And I thought he was great. Um, this isn't like she is in the cinema universe, but she's more prominent on television. And that's Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. And if you look back in the Marvel books, like, Volume one of Captain America is where Peggy's really in there a lot. And she's, those books were, I think, in the 60s. And it's very, very sexist. Mm. And I was really curious how, especially with Agent Carter, how they were going to handle it. And I, I think they handled it great. And I think she was outstanding. But I'll be honest with you, of all those I've mentioned, my favorite so far, and he's really close to my heart, is Anthony Mackie as the Falcon is just killing it. He's outstanding as the Falcon. Falcon's been Cap's long sidekick going back to the 60s, and I just, he's 
perfect. I totally agree there. Uh, they did so economically and beautifully develop that in Winter Soldier that I was just amazed. You know, I can't wait to see any film that Falcon's in. That, it, that beginning when <laughs> on your left, baby. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to the midnight or at seven o'clock or midnight or something. And I walked into the office the next day and nobody else had seen the movie. And every single time I passed anybody, I'd walk on their left side and I'd say on your left. <laughs> Monday, I walk into the office and everybody's punching me in the arm. <laughs> 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 they, they, they got to see it over the weekend, and they're like, eh, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mackie's just perfect. He's I Of all of the casting that I was on the fence about, I, I love that they got him, and I hope he's locked in for a long time. I hope they do, uh, you know, a bunch of di- – excuse me, a bunch of different types of movies and keep him involved as they expand the Avengers and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, um, again, I'm coming from the experience that I really knew nothing about the Marvel Universe at all. So when I saw Iron Man 2 um, and we got the reveal of Black Widow, I was just like, oh, my God, if they don't make a movie of this one, which they haven't yet. And I'm so mad about it. But they yeah. they need uh, if there's if there's one character who hasn't gotten their own movie that I wish that they could just afford to just go ahead and throw money, just bury Scarlett Johansson in money and give her her own film. Maybe maybe with uh, Clint with her, you know, that would be OK. Yeah. Um, But just somebody make that movie because Black Widow is. As you know from our Twitter <laughs> tweets back and forth, uh, Black Widow is my favorite Marvel character of all of them. And, and it's not just about her looks. It's just about, I, I really like the way, again, very economically, uh, Whedon has taken time to really develop her character and the Rousseau brothers as well. They've taken such great care in really developing her character in a, in a fantastic way that she's the one that I care about more than any of the other ones. She's, she's amazing. And as you get more into the MC or the Marvel comics books, she knows everybody. Uh, her and, and, uh, Daredevil were involved for quite a while. Wow. You know, Winter Soldier, everybody. There's a chance you could get her on Daredevil if you could get, uh, Scarlet to do it. That's great. I just don't know how closely they're tying television with Netflix with the MCU. There have been mentions that cross. And we've had like on Agents of Shield, we've had Nick Fury and Lady Sif and and uh, there's a portion of Agents of Shield that leads right into Winter Soldier and picks up after. Mm-hmm. But I still think there's a hesitancy because it's two different divisions at Marvel. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. But it could happen. Yeah. Uh, that that may be uh, that may be Disney saying, "Hey man, <laughs> how, hey Marvel, help us out here. Just just one little crossover here and there, just to help us promote these films a little bit too." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, great. Uh, moving on from the characters themselves, in in terms of, of casting, um, what about the casting of the costumes? You know, and, and this is something that I see much more prevalent uh, when DC is about to put out a new film, like they'll. they'll unveil the costumes and i don't know that i've ever paid that much attention to the marvel universe enough to to see like unveiling of costumes but was there a costume that you saw being promoted uh by marvel where you thought man that just doesn't work for me in terms of the way i, I picture the comic book 
as we've gotten deeper into the movies, I really don't like uh, the way Cap's helmet looks in the Avengers. Mm. It it just it doesn't. It's going to sound stupid, but it doesn't sit well with my head. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, and definitely uh, Malachi from from uh, Thor: Dark World. I was it it. it I have no concept of what they were trying to do there. It doesn't look anything like the book. Gotcha. Right. Um, but I, I, there's subtle little things. I mean, the Loki outfit is amazing. Yes. Winter Soldier is great. Yes. In Winter Soldier, I don't know if you noticed, but in the beginning of the movie, Cap's colors are very muted, including his shield. And it's almost like he's wearing a stealth outfit. And then later in the movie, the colors come back out. Um, the red undergarment, if you pay attention on Thor's armor, it's like, uh, the, the officers of the, of the Queen's court would wear more silk and, and things under their armor as opposed to leather or, or cotton. And that's, it, it's like a silky red undergarment underneath Thor's armor. It's little subtle things like that that I think are amazing. Um, the Benicio del Toro character spot on looks like the collector. Right on. You know, I, Guardians of the Galaxy was something for me that just totally came out of the blue. So the only way that I see those characters is the way they were realized in the film, to be perfectly honest. So it's it's like I don't know if I would be actually maybe disappointed in comic books if I went back and looked and saw the differences as opposed to the films. Uh, again, I, I think it's the same way it is for a lot of fans who, say, uh, saw the first or t- two seasons or three seasons of Game of Thrones and then went back and read all of the books. Um, there are certain, you know, when I read uh, Game of Thrones and I read a Sansa chapter, I see Sophie Turner, you know, which is not what I'm supposed to do, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I wonder if, if my going back and looking at some of these comics, how I'll feel about them. The, the one costume that when I just first saw it, uh, right off the bat that just totally blew me away. And again, it's not from, um, comparing to the comics or anything, but Bucky, the winter soldier, man, that is just uh, so badass. I just love yeah. that, that costume. It's amazing. And, and the arm and uh, it's just totally amazing. And the way that those, that's the Russo brothers that shot winter soldier, right? Yeah. 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 The way that they shot him and Cap's fight, which is, well, we should talk about it more when we're getting into the rankings, but I, I just think it's so accentuated who the Winter Soldier is in terms of how quick he is and, and everything. And, um, that costume just lends itself to that kind of action so brilliantly. Definitely. Um, Anything else about the costumes or do you want to talk a little bit about, and this will be again, something that I have only experienced thanks to your tweets, but the trailers uh, <laughs> of upcoming films, um, I, I wouldn't probably again, uh, as a traveling musician and, and as somebody who's busy doing podcasts about, you know, hundreds of pages of books, um, you, you're kind of like my source for everything, the Marvel universe. So uh, did you find any trailers to make you think i don't know if i really want to see this film or not or were there trailers that made you say oh, man i've got to see this and then either one way or the other the movie either disappointed you or or was even better than the trailer uh yeah well being a a, a comic nerd 
the realm we're in right now where all these things are happening and we're getting a new Star Wars every year and I, I it's like Revenge of the Nerds really paid off. <laughs> we're getting all of these great movies, but so I'm not really I'm anticipating every single one. Um some of the ones like that, that are announced now that are coming out for for the end of phase 3 are so far off that we don't have anything on them. Like we haven't got casting on Captain Marvel yet, but I really want to see a good Captain Marvel movie. Um, but just looking at the trailers, I mean, Winter Soldier's trailer was, I thought, outstanding. Uh, the Avengers. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that trailer. Iron Man, Age of Ultron, that moment in Age of Ultron at the beginning when they're invading the castle and it's the shot of all of the Avengers in action. It's like a comic That's, book cover, man. <laughs> It's absolutely right. It's an absolutely a comic book cover. Anything like the trailers that kind of got me hyped and I really didn't like the movie, The Incredible Hulk, which technically is phase one. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was Feige's first or second movie. It was out after Iron Man. Um, I just, I didn't, so far the two Hulk movies have been, there. there's points to see in them. Like in the Ang Lee, I like the way he did like comic book panels in the movie. But the movie itself, I thought, was ridiculous. A hulked-out poodle? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know it's comics, but there, there's ridiculous things in comics that are actually nonsensical. And this was just like, I think, a director who doesn't read comics. Um, and I think that fell in play with The Incredible Hulk, too, but I may be wrong. I just didn't think that movie was that good. Mm -hmm. um, as I've said, Captain America was my favorite, is my favorite. Thor's second, but it's always been Cap. And I was really disappointed with First Avenger. Um, I remember I came out of the movie and there was a tweet maybe an hour after the movie would have ended from Heath. And he goes, haven't heard anything from Glenn about Captain America. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of the world loved the movie. And I'm guaranteeing you, I was nitpicking in my head. I wanted absolutely everything I had built up in my head and there's no way I was going to get it. And when I sat back down and watched the Blu-ray, Blu-ray, some of the things that had annoyed me, they cut, but the movie holds together much better. I think I was just being too critical of it. Uh, it's nowhere near as good as winter soldier or the Avengers in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And actually I think the first Thor movie is much better wow. than captain America first Avenger, but that's, um, I'm in the minority on that as well. Yeah. I did not like Iron Man 3 that much, and mm. I thought Thor Dark World was kind of convoluted. It didn't really make a lot of sense. Wow. Right on. Very cool. Well, we're going to have some good things to talk about when we rank these things. I didn't have... Uh, Heck yeah. I, I didn't really have the trailer experience or the in-the-theater experience so much, so I I, had, I almost have to kind of just pass on the, on the trailer question. Um, but I definitely have some favorite characters and some least favorite characters. And, and uh, I think I've already established that Black Widow is my favorite Marvel character. Uh, Loki is my favorite villain. I just love Loki. I think Tom Hiddleston just does that so well. Um, one of my least favorite villains was probably, again, from the Incredible Hulk film, uh, Emil Blonsky. The, the whole what he transformed into and everything. I wasn't really all that taken by that. Um, and one of my least favorite heroes, I'm sorry to say, I, I know that you're a big Thor guy, but I, I just don't always get the, the, the Thor vibe that everybody else seems to get. It's, well, I, I understand this is, most of the world agrees with you, but 
it's one of the books I was reading when I was 12. So, <laughs> well, and, and it makes perfect sense. It. it makes perfect yeah. sense. Um, but, uh, is there any other favorites or least favorites that stick out in your mind before we get into ranking these films? Yeah. I mean, I've said it before. Cap is miles above everybody, uh, followed by Thor. The other one that I'm anxious for on Netflix is Iron Fist. Danny Rand is awesome. Uh, anybody who wants to get a good glimpse into Iron Fist before Netflix, um, Ed Brubaker is the writer who did, he created the Winter Soldier. He brought Bucky back to life and he was one of the focal points in Civil War, his whole storyline in Cap. His run on Captain America is crazy good, but he also did one on Iron Fist and it may be on the Marvel Unlimited app. If not, you can go to marvel.com and buy the Ed Brubaker bundle digitally and it's like 40 bucks or something. And there's his entire run on Iron Fist is in there and it's great. It'll give you a really good introduction of what we're going to get out of that character. Um, Dr. Strange is, uh, he's the one who kind of opens the door for everything else in the universe. Mm. And literally by that, I mean universe because Dr. Strange deals with dimensions yeah. and magic and Scarlet Witch is similar, but Scarlet Witch is, um, she's much more powerful, but not as, as, uh, wise, I would say as Dr. Strange. Falcon's always been a favorite. Uh, Groot is now after the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you grew up reading comics, you gotta love Spidey. He's always, he's always, uh, a staple. The adventures of Peter Parker and, you know, yeah. he's been great. Well, I, I love that you brought up some things that are, that are in, uh, the television universe too. I just recently finished season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and, uh, Agent Coulson is, is one of my favorite characters. Um, as is, um, I, now I can't remember her name. I'm blanking. Uh, the pilot. What's her name? May? May. Yes. I love her too. Uh, yeah, they're, she's, they're great. She's awesome. And I, I, I love Daredevil. I love Stick. Um, yeah. I was, I was perfectly okay with this Electra for Daredevil season two. I thought that she would, did fine. Um, I like the Jessica Jones and I love Dave Tennant yeah. in, in that series also as a villain, man, he was just fantastic. If we're including those, I think he's been the best Yeah, in the MCU as a villain. And there've been some, I mean, Loki's phenomenal. I thought Red Skull was portrayed great. Um, we've yet to see juries out on Thanos, but everything they're doing with him so far has been outstanding. But, uh, Tennant was ridiculous. Ridiculous in Jessica Jones. Yeah. I, he made that whole series. Well, I, I mean, I love, I love the whole series anyway, but for me, he made me compelled to watch it a lot faster than I probably would have. Let me just put it that way. There's also, there's a run from Jessica Jones that was under Marvel X, which is, or Max, it's called. It's the, it's when Marvel started doing more of an adult oriented run of books and there's Punisher on there and a couple other titles. I don't recall which, but, um, the Jessica Jones series on max, you can buy it digitally on, you can get it at comic shops. I'm sure they still stock it right now from the show, but you could, if you want to just get the digitals, you can get it at comiXology. It's not on Marvel unlimited and it's not on marvel.com because it's the adult series and they don't run those under the Marvel sites. But Comixology has it and you can get it. And it covers most of what's on the series. And there's a lot of 
uh, like four or five, maybe six issues of it that are before the show time wise. So there's other little adventures she goes on that are pretty cool. Very interesting. Very cool. Well, are you ready to tackle this? This is a tough thing. This is like choosing between your kids, right? It is. It is, man. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we all do it. Come on, folks. Don't lie. You do have favorite children. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it isn't hard. So the way I thought I'd approach this, Glenn, is I let you be the big countdown. You start with your least favorite and count down to your best favorite. And I will tell everybody where that film ranks in my ranking. How about we do it like that? That's fine. That works. All right. Um, I, I mean, it's part of phase one, kind of, <laughs> but I think the Incredible Hulk of the 12 is the weakest. Um, CGI wasn't quite there yet. Uh, I thought the acting was fine. It's, it just seemed, I don't think that they had an idea yet that this was going to be what it was. I think they had the start of it with Iron Man, but Hulk was clearly already in production. And I think that was also under Universal. So that, I think, was the weakest for me. Well, uh, I have The Incredible Hulk as my number 12 for the exact same reasons. Um, I'm going to throw in the caveat that um, I love Liv Tyler. I think she's been brilliant in, like, The Lord of the Rings and everything. Um and I thought Ed Norton did a great job. I, I just feel like I never felt the chemistry between those two. And so when they tried to spend time developing that relationship, redeveloping that relationship, I guess, um, I, I just really didn't, uh, I didn't buy into it. Also, the Mr. Blue misdirect really just kind of didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, uh, and the other, uh, William Hurt, I thought was great. Yeah. William Hurt was good. Um, and then, you know, of course the, the teaser <laughs> with Tony Stark coming up to him in the bar, I thought was great. Yeah. But, um, I, but I don't know what else to say about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's not, not a whole lot more that we can say. Uh, I'm spot on with you about the CGI and everything. It was, it was a film that if, I think if it was made today and you had Ruffalo, uh, I think would be fantastic. Um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Especially, you know, I mean, that's ILM and they're, they're, breaking the grounds on CGI and, and there are leaps and bounds ahead of that. That was 2008 when that came out. So it was in production in 2007. Yeah. And you know, the special effects on the Hulk were probably 2006 was when they, they were being developed. So, right. um, my number 11, I think people will agree with me mostly on this was Iron Man three. <laughs> um, I, I, it didn't seem like it fit with the other movies. And it seemed like it, especially the ending of it, it doesn't fit with what happens after. And there doesn't seem to really be a strong explanation as to why. And maybe I need to revisit it again because this is one of them I didn't get to rewatch. But um, the the whole storyline with Mandarin was convoluted. It, it, uh, it was a waste of an awesome Iron Man villain in the books, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't work for me as well, as strongly as the other two. Yeah. And I love being Ben Kingsley. And it's funny, uh, Iron Man 3 is my number 11 as well. So, so far we're right on point. Wow. We're going to have oh. differences later on. I can guarantee it. Oh, but, I guarantee it. But, uh, yeah, Iron Man 3, uh, Mandarin, uh, Ben, Ben Kingsley is just, he, he's amazing, but he was totally used wrong in this film. Completely. Uh, and, and it, it, it became, 
you know, I like the humor that is in Iron Man and in Iron Man 2, but this became just kind of like a bombastic comedy sketch for a lot part. And I hate picking on kid actors, but they could have casted. I felt, I felt really bad for that kid because I just felt like he was just terrible. You know? Yeah. Um, his, his performance was not wizard. Definitely. <laughs> definitely not wizard. Um, so I'm, I'm right with you there. Um, I, I did like the whole post-traumatic stress thing coming off of the Avengers. Um, from the whole New York situation. Um, but I thought it was overdone just a little bit. Um, but I always love, I always love the, the effects in the Iron Man's. I think even as early as the, as the first Iron Man, uh, the visual effects have been stupendous for the most part in that show. But I didn't really, I, and I know the extremist thing has been carried over into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, but, um, that guy is just not there. You know, it, it just didn't work for me. Yeah. I agree. Uh, number 10. What do you got? This is where we're going to get different. This one surprised me because I really, really wanted to like this movie and I went back and watched it again and it, it, it's Thor Dark World. And it's not that I don't like it. It's that I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the first one. And they changed enough of the dynamic that it, it just doesn't work for me. I, it's hard for me to put my finger on because I love Thor and having see Asgard and things like that, or, or those, I love those moments, but it, it just, something about this movie just doesn't click. I can't quite finger it what it is, but. Hold on. Well, this is where we differ. Uh, and I, I just want to preface this by saying that when I went through, I've got this other special little side doc that I made where I, uh, divided what I thought of the film into, into five different sections for 20 points each for a total of a hundred points, like acting, casting, writing, development, shots, direction, VFX. And of course me being a musician, music had to play a strong role mm. in it. And a lot of times I, I found that my, my rankings here are literally just a point or even a half a point, uh, difference, you know, that that's how mm. good all of these films are to me. Um, but, I came in with Ant-Man as my hmm. number 10. Uh, I think Michael Douglas, like you said, he is absolutely fantastic. I didn't really have a problem with Evangeline Lilly, except she just seemed a little stiff, and maybe that's what that character is supposed to be, but I don't know as, as a, since I'm not a comic book reader. Um, Paul Rudd was fine. Um, Corey Stahl, I couldn't buy. I just could not buy Corey Stahl at all. And, um, the music, uh, uh, the whole mixed meter Mission Impossible sounding crap just doesn't work for me. Well, the interesting thing here is for 10, both of these movies had director problems. Mm. Both, both Ant-Man and Dark World. And we can get, the, get to that more at the end. But I think that's probably what's causing us both a problem with it. Thor went through three different directors. Wow. And Ant-Man went through two. I like Ant-Man a lot more, but that's because it's, it's obviously down on the list a little bit for me, but it's, um, it's the direction it took them and we'll get there when I, when I hit that spot. But uh -huh. Well, uh, you ready for your number nine? Yeah. And I think it's just because it's one of the older ones, but Iron Man 2, 
don't get me wrong, I love the movie. I don't think it was as strong as the first, but I had to find a spot for it, and I think the movies above it are better. Um, the I love the way they they uh, worked Whiplash in. I don't I, I, the like the I don't remember the race, the Formula One. I thought that mm-hmm. scene was outstanding. Yes. As it got going into it, though, um, I think it started to lose its momentum. The movie. I could see that. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of the, the guy that he was working for. What was that character's name? Um, the other defense contractor. Just, Justin Hammer. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. a big fan of him in that film. Um, but my number nine and, and Glenn is about to reach through the internet and punch me out. <laughs> but my number nine is Thor. And again, it's just that maybe it's just because I'm not as tied to that in particular. Um, I, I do like old Viking Norse mythology. Um, and so therefore I, I, I've never been really comfortable with the fact that he's just an alien, that he's not an actual God of some kind, I think is part of my problem with the whole Thor series. Um, cause that's what it feels like they're trying to say. Thor's just an alien. He's a powerful alien that lives a lot longer than everybody else. And he's got special tech that that's kind of the way that I feel that, that they've, they've turned the Thor part of the universe. And and maybe if I read more of the comics, I would understand better. But for me, just in terms of what I know with Norse mythology, um, I'm not very accepting of uh, Asgard and, and Midgard and all of that just being different planets. That's interesting. Um, and they're actually, technically they're not planets, they're realms. And that definition I'll leave for someone smarter than I, but, um, I wonder if that's the problem that Thor is having with fans is that perception that, that he's not being reflected as a God like he is in the books. Cause there's a run with Thor. Asgard gets destroyed and everyone, all of the, the, the gods are dead as gods die, meaning they don't cease to exist. They just go into like a nether. And Thor ends up coming back to Midgard and rediscovers who he is. There's a a, mo, a a bit there where he's kind of like being a lumberjack, like you see with, with Clark in Batman Superman. Mm-hmm. And then he slowly rediscovers who he is. Asgard's gone. He has to go find, uh, you know, Volstagg and, and everyone from Asgard. They're all inhabiting human bodies. And he has to make them realize who they are. And it's an amazing comic run. I'll let you know what it is in case it's on Marvel Unlimited. I'd have to look it up though. Okay. And, and essentially Asgard becomes floating over like Kansas. <laughs> it's great. You'll love it. <laughs> okay. Right on. Very cool. Very cool. Run. Very cool. Well, I, again, you know, I, like I said, all of these films are, are very close together. Like I have Thor at 84.5 on my scale, whereas Ant-Man was 83.5, you know, so it's, it's, they're all that close. It's, it's just a matter of, of where they fall in. And I think it's a good film. Um, not, don't really like Natalie Portman all that much in this film either. I don't know why. Um, it's not that she did a bad job. It's just, I, I don't know how she was utilized 
as well as she could be. Darcy, on the other hand, I love Darcy. Darcy's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I thought she was great in Dark World. Yes. You know, when Milner goes flying by and she's like, meow, meow. <laughs> I thought that was great. I, I, people might hate that part. I thought it was hysterical. I thought so. it was, too. I thought it was, yeah. too. Well, what about your, uh, what are we at now? Number eight? Is that where we are? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, like Heath, I'm changing the list <laughs> <laughs> periodically. <laughs> um, I'm going to slide Captain America First Avenger back a spot. Wow. And it, it goes back. It, it like I said, it, it, a lot of my problems with it were fixed on, on Blu-ray, but my expectations for this movie were so high. And I honestly don't think Chris Evans quite got the character yet. He certainly does later and he is cap to me now um there's just in the cinema like when he rescues bucky and and uh the soldiers and he comes back and in the cinema they had a moment where they're like three cheers for captain america hip hip hooray hip hip hooray i didn't see that on the blu-ray and that was one of the things that i was like really during the movie huh. that, that 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 bothered me that reminded me of what Hollywood said soldiers were doing in World War II. And they, you know, from my understanding anyway, they really weren't yeah. reacting that way. I mean, it would be like cheering, sure, but not hip, hip, hooray. Yeah. Um, that's a little too Mickey Mouse. Yeah, that's the best way to put it, I think. Um, and I think this film was rushed into production. I don't think it got the attention it should have. They got away from the entire storyline of, of the bomb with Bucky and the plane and everything and, uh, changed that, which it works for the movie and everything. And I guess it makes more sense leading up to Winter Soldier. But with Cap's origin story, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I appreciate like in the trailer for, for Civil War, where they're touching back to that, where he's, I could do this all day holding the shield up. And, right. Um, I just, this, this wasn't, uh, I enjoy the movie. By no means do I think it's the best representation we could have had of Cap in the first movie. Wow. All right. Well, I mean, I can see that you're going to, you're going to rake me later when you see how high I rank the movie, but mo no. most of that was based on, uh, the music. To be perfectly honest. Um, which brings me to my number eight and one of the reasons why this one is down there. Um, as you know, when I've been doing these Game of Thrones podcasts for years, I'm a huge fan of Ramin Javadi. Not in this film. Mm. Uh, Iron Man. I, 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 the original Iron Man, Javadi's score totally, uh, took me out of it. Um, the rock and roll stuff is great. They can use that. It's very, it, that made the fun, the movie fun and everything like that. That's okay. Um, Javadi trying to employ some of those elements into his own score, I thought was, um, almost felt like he didn't have a creative choice to me. Um, and so maybe I shouldn't hold it against him, but he did it anyway, and he didn't do it very well, in my opinion. Um, plus Iron Man visual effects, of course, is, is not quite as good. Um, the origin story is good. I just hate the, how clunky that original Iron Man that he made in Afghanistan looked. <laughs> um, I felt like I was watching a cartoon for a moment rather than the, an animated comic. 
um, yeah. or, or, or a live action comic. And it, it just didn't really work for me. Um, I've never been really fond of the whole Pepper Potts thing, although not, that's nothing against Gwyneth Paltrow. I think she does great. It's just, uh, the Iron Man for me just uh, doesn't quite work as well as some of the other films. That's why it's my number seven. <laughs> it's also, I mean, the thing we got to keep in mind is it came out in 2008. Right. And by the way, that, that, uh, first suit of armor, uh, I don't remember that. I don't think it's the Mach one. I think it's, I don't remember, but, uh, that's what he looked like in the very early, early Avengers and books like that. Really? It, he was very clunky. Like, I mean, he looked like a Dr. Frankenstein, Iron Man kind of looking. Okay. So it was um, an homage to, to the comic books then. I guess. Yeah, and I think they worked that in well. In the same way with Thor, they worked in, um, uh, I almost said Banner, uh, Donald Blake. A little tip of the hat to Donald Blake, and I'll get to that when I, when I hit Thor. But, um, yeah, for I, for me, and, and this is why it's at seven, it's, it's an older movie. It, I was exceptionally excited. I think it's really good, but I went back and rewatched it a couple days ago, and it's just not, like you said, it's not as, as, uh, as thrashed out or, or I'm misusing the word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. As, as some of the newer movies, I think they had a lot more time developing these and I think they had a lot more resources and probably, um, a lot more, uh, leeway since they've had so much success. And this was the one that launched phase one. That's true. So they were probably under a much tighter budget. And I think this was. I think Paramount did the actual release, but it, yeah. it reverted back to Disney. Yeah, Par- Paramount, uh, in fact, I think, uh, handled almost everything save the Incredible Hulk, uh, of these films that we're talking about up until the Avengers. And then they still, uh, Avengers and Iron Man 3 still got Paramount tags at the beginning, but Walt Disney was acknowledged as the distributor, um, at the end, like after the, yeah. after the teasers or whatever. Um, and you've, uh, said you went straight to Iron Man for me. Uh, my number seven goes back to your, uh, Thor Dark World. Uh, and the reason why it ranks so high is again, one because of the music and one because I loved the, the Loki story in this particular film. Not so much the Thor story or even, and, uh, I love Chris Eccleston. Uh, loved him as Doctor Who, loved him in, uh, the first season of, uh, a show on HBO that Daniel, uh, or, uh, Damon, Carlton, Damon and Carlton, uh, that Damon. Um, I, I, I love Chris Eccleston as an actor, but, uh, I just did not get into the whole language, alien stuff. The elves thing seemed weird to me. Um, it felt too much Lord of the Rings to me with tech. And, um, so that's why, uh, Thor dark world is my number seven. I agree. And actually you're bringing up points that I'm, I'm sitting here nodding the entire time. Maybe that's why I didn't like it as much because it's so Loki centric Ah. and not as Thor centric. Ah. And again, I think they completely misused, uh, Malachi and I, I, there's, he's such a devious insert word here. Um, yeah. In the books, and and he did he he came off almost like a you know a villain of the week. Mm. 
in the movie to me. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. On the other hand, there are aspects of it. I actually like Natalie Portman better in this one than in the first one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought the Selvig stuff was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, uh, I love Darcy, although I, I kind of got a crush on Darcy, so I didn't like seeing her get a romantic relationship. So not so good there. But I I had no idea she was on that TV show that where she's the waitress. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that is. That's the same. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 two waitresses. That's a CBS show, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had no. Heath told me that, and I'm like, what? Yeah. Couldn't couldn't picture that at all. But she's good. She's a great actress. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, what's your number six, brother? And this is probably going to surprise folks, but Avengers: Age of Ultron, of everything remaining, I, I, I put it here because I think it's the weakest. There's problems with it. Um, the whole Quicksilver bit. Mm-hmm. I love the movie. I love the joke running throughout the movie about language. Mm-hmm. Um, the bit with Thor's hammer when Cap budges it and Thor's eyes bulge up a little bit. <laughs> I think they did Ultron well. I would have preferred if they had tied it to the original story with Ant-Man. Um, but it works the way they did it. And the other thing that I have a problem with, and this is one of the disappointing characters for me, is the vision. The way they did him is really, really good. But I'm pretty convinced originally Clark Gregg was going to be the vision. And if you go back and look at the Avengers, when Nick Fury, when they're on the bridge and Nick Fury turns around, he says, I just lost my good eye. There's too many little lines in there and and you know is he dead is he not dead that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and if you look there was i tweeted a couple times and it was a wallpaper on my phone there's a, a picture of the vision that i grabbed from the marvel wiki and i photoshopped a picture of clark Gregg into it and their faces are identical wow and it, it's not that Paul Bethany doesn't look like him. He looks great. He looks exactly like the Vision, and the way they represent him in Age of Ultron is great. I just think it was supposed to be Clark Gregg, and I thought Clark Gregg would have been fantastic. But Marvel decided to go with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the whole Tahiti storyline and bring Clark Gregg back because the audience was like, Coulson lives, Coulson lives. Because everybody loved him, and he was a great character. And I'm glad it turned out this way, especially for Clark Gregg. Right. But I would like to have seen him as the Vision. I think he would have been fantastic as the Vision. And if if you think about it, too, if you watch him, even going back to Iron Man 1, he's very stoic. Yeah. Up until Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., his character is almost robotic. And I, I swear they were just building that up. And maybe that was Feige or maybe that was Joss Whedon's idea. But I think that's why he got killed in Avengers. Wow. And that's a big sticking point for me with Age of Ultron. I like where the, I like where it's going. I like Paul Bethany. Um, you know, the bit with the hammer was brilliant. Yes. <laughs> yes. Both bits, I should say, with the hammer, you know. Um, but that, that's, I think it was supposed to be Clark Gregg and I can't, uh, you know, get off my lawn, kids. I can't let that go. <laughs> right on. Well, my number six, and it's funny that you bring that one up because uh, that's my number five. So I'll save that for a, a second or we may not even have to talk about it. I think you ex- explained that all really eloquently. But my number six 
is Iron Man 2. Um, the only reason, really for me, Iron Man 2 and, and Thor Dark World were essentially a tie, but I get the extra point five uh, that separated these two, uh, was simply the introduction of Black Widow. Uh, cause mm. as we all know, Black Widow yeah. is like my biggest Marvel crush ever. Um, oh my God, Scarlett Johansson. She's just so good in this. And, um, that, that scene where, <laughs> where his bodyguard takes care of one guy and she's taking care of everybody else. I just love that. Um, but, uh, that's what raised it above Thor Dark World for me. Uh, and, um, uh, John Debney did an okay job with the score, but it did, it did hurt Iron Man 2 because the, the whole ACDC thing had already been done and a lot of the music started to seem kind of formulaic rather than, uh, thematic to me. So that's why it uh, goes below Age of Ultron. And for me, uh, I'll just go ahead and talk about my number five and then you can reveal yours. But since you've already just talked about Age of Ultron, um, the whole uh, messing with their minds thing did not, outside of for uh, Black Widow herself, who I loved, and I loved how well that part of her story got developed about the Red Room and all of that so easily and i loved her involvement with banner i think that that's fantastic and it calls back to you know them just first meeting in the original in the first avengers um and that they would develop the bond i loved that but um the the way that the dreams affected people such extreme so extremely like it doesn't seem to bother cap at all Really, you know, and and Stark even manages to 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 kind of eke that out to say that uh, when they're cutting the wood and everything. Um, even though I think he is being bothered by it, he's the one who. And is that supposed to be a testimony as to how uh, much stronger he is than everybody else? Stronger than Thor, an alien? You know, I it just although it is coming all coming from the Infinity Stone, I suppose. Um, that's where her powers come from. So maybe, uh, it would affect Thor more and he does kind of go off and, and do his own thing, which ends up saving the day, really bringing the vision to light. But it, it all seemed like there was just too many things going on in this film to where I couldn't appreciate Ultron's menace as much. Maybe that's why it did. It comes out at number five for me. You brought up some interesting points. One of the things to keep in mind is Joss Whedon has now said he was at Tribeca and he said, uh, he was exhausted during Ultron and they went right into press and he kind of figured that was the end of everything for him, like directing wise. Really? Yeah. Which is surprising, but I think he clearly was just burned out. Um, the other thing, the dream sequences, I think they're leading us to see what's going to happen potentially in some of them, especially Thor's. I think we're leading to see what's going to happen in future movies. I think Thor sees Ragnarok. a vision of Ragnarok, okay. which Feige, Kevin Feige has said, so I'm not spoiling anything. Ragnarok means the end of all things. Right. Which if we talk about what the upcoming movies, I can get into a little details of what that might be, but I don't want to spoil anyone. Well, and I thought the Tony one might be, uh, a somewhat of a future vision as well, right? I, I think that might be pointing clearly towards Ultron or toward, towards, uh, Thanos. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
my interpretation of Captain America's dream, and I've seen some people who didn't get this, was Cap's fear is losing everybody he knows and everybody he cares about. And that has come true. So he's living his fear anyway, which is why it doesn't affect him as strongly. Mm, okay. If you think about it, Captain America is kind of a combination of, to compare him into the DC universe, he's a kind of a combination of Superman and Batman. And bear with me on this. He's a strategist. He's a trained soldier. He's arguably the best hand-to-hand -hand combat fighter. Maybe Iron Fist is better in the Marvel Universe. And Black Widow is clearly right there. And the other side of that is he's in the way that he's like Superman is he's completely isolated. Everybody he knows is dead. Yeah. He's in a world he doesn't know. So he's very much like Kalel in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what his vision was, his dream. Okay. Well, that actually makes me feel a little bit better about it. I'm not going to change my ranking, but it does make no. me feel better about it. Thank you. Yeah. And there's also a deleted scene on there that, which goes a little bit more into Thor's dream on the Blu-ray. Oh, really? Okay. Catch. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that might make a difference. I actually, I, I have to confess, folks, I just rented most of these films on, uh, Amazon, not Ultron. I had to actually buy the DVD of that, but I didn't buy the Blu-ray. But most of the older films, especially the Phase 1 films, I just all rented on Amazon and watched them that way. So I have no insight uh, on that stuff. Um, but what was your number five, Glenn? My number five, and it's a really strong movie and it's a different direction for them. And they kept saying it was a heist movie. And like everyone, I'm really curious how this would have worked out with Edgar Wright. But it's Ant-Man. Uh, I thought Peyton Reed did great with it. I really enjoyed the movie. It was not at all what I anticipated. It was one of those I was kind of like, I don't know, this could be the one where they mess it up. And I really came out of it. I, I enjoyed a lot of it. I wish there had been more Hank Pym, but I understand why they're focusing on Scott. Um, the humor in it I thought was great. His little crew of guys he gets together, you know. Uh, I can't remember the actor, but his main buddy who picks him up from prison at the beginning. Yeah. The actor's genius in this movie um the bit with the fight i thought yellow jacket was kind of wasted the villain um but the fight on the train set was <laughs> i love that <laughs> <laughs> all right well i, I was okay with it uh, yeah I, I, again cory stall just didn't do it for me in that particular yeah. film and i i don't know why it just um uh, it, it, compared to like his performance in House of Cards and uh, other things that I've seen him in, it just didn't, uh, did, didn't measure up to me. And I don't know if that, maybe, like you said, maybe part of that is direction as well. Cause I certainly don't think any less of Corey Stahl as an actor. I just didn't, I don't know. I just, he seemed a little too over the top to me. I think one of the reasons I like this so much is it's kind of a happy middle ground between, oh my gosh, the whole world's going to blow up and, it like an Avengers movie and the other side of that coin being, Oh my gosh, hell's kitchen's going to blow up like daredevil. Yeah. And this is kind of a happy medium there. Yeah, I can see that. Well, I, I already, we already discussed my number five. So let's go to your number four. Um, I was scared to death of this one <laughs> because Heath was not quite all the way on board with Marvel. And with this movie, I was trying to explain to him the characters. 
And he literally, his eyes would glaze over when I was talking to him at the pub. Uh, I'm like, dude, there's a guy who's as smart as Tony Stark. He's as smart as Reed Richards, but he's a tree. And the only thing he can say is my name is Groot or I am Groot. It's Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a guy who was a guard on a planet or he was a, uh, animal on a planet that was a prison and the guards at the prison were robot artificial intelligent robots that were given curiosity so they could predict if the prisoners were trying to escape. But because of that curiosity, they wanted to explore. So over generations, they developed raccoons and deers and bears and skunks into guards and that's Rocket the Raccoon. <laughs> he's he's Rambo, but he's a raccoon. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, we went into the movie, and it opens up with, you know, uh, with Star-Lord's Ma in that whole scene. And then he goes outside and he gets kidnapped. And I'm just kind of shrinking down in my seat. being I'm just thinking, man, they missed the boat on this. Heath is never going to go see another Marvel movie with me. This is the end of it. And then they cut to the scene in the cave where he's whistling. <laughs> he's singing to his, his, uh, yeah. his Walkman. And from that point on, the movie just rolls. I love this movie. I thought it was so good. I have Guardians of the Galaxy as my number four as well. I mean, going from the whole Groot shtick and Groot was fabulous. I, Groot Absolutely. is one of, you know, it, it, for me, I honestly, I was not invested in any of the other characters as much. Um, the whole reveal about Star-Lord at the end, uh, that he, you know, daddy may be, uh, someone else. That was great. But the, the thing for me, you know, there is nothing that beats a, as a single scene in a single piece a film score in the Marvel universe as a single piece. There are better film scores overall, but when Groot forms himself around that them as that ship is crashing, um, that makes me cry every time. I, yeah. I can't, I can't not get away from how well, um, the, the guy used, used voices, uh, and coupled just with that single line, you know, the one change of one word, how emotional that was for me. And that just totally made the whole film on a whole other level for me. One single little scene made it better. I mean, personally, um, the, the, the chick from Doctor Who that played the sister. Kieran Gillen? Kieran Gillen. That is it. Okay. Um, she, I thought she was good. I, I, liked all of the characters i thought that um that the raccoon what is his name again rocket raccoon. rocket i thought he was a brilliant bit of cgi um on the level of anything that ilm had ever done with yoda or whatever um and uh, i thought that groot uh was just off kilter enough to make him alien mm. and um i thought the film looked fantastic um, had a couple problems with some nitpicks about, uh, the gases and, and floating around and being able to, like, uh, uh, Star-Lord being able to seemingly fly through space, yet 
he doesn't have any kind of protective gear around his fingers. Yeah. Those kind of things were just little nitpicky things for me, which probably brought it down a little bit, but it's, it's one of the most original <laughs> kind of stories that I think I've ever seen on screen, period. Uh, and it reminds me of the innovativeness of Star Wars and the, you know, which was really just a, a classic story, uh, opera kind of story, which was brought to life in a, in a whole new universe. But this, this story was just so outlandish from so many aspects that I was surprised every moment and I absolutely loved it. I, I can't. I, I can't agree more. I mean, the, the Drax, Bautista, uh, nothing will go over my head. My reflexes are too fast. <laughs> you know, the, the, the entire run of the footloose jokes. <laughs> who, who put the sticks up their butts? <laughs> you know, um, and even Kevin Bacon tweeted afterwards. He's like, Hey, I love that script. Great ideas. Ha ha ha. Um, I, it's just, it's such a good movie. Across the board, I think this is one of the most anticipated sequels of of Phase Three. Yeah, just because everybody was so caught off guard with it, even Marvel fans that I know that know a ton more than I do, they couldn't believe how good the movie was, and I'm I'm ecstatic that it came out as well as it did. It's a great introduction to the Nova Corps. I wish they'd have done more with them. Um, it's a great introduction to uh the collector Benicio del Toro's character Howard the Ducks in there yeah something to look forward to especially with Man Thing Man Thing and Howard the Duck played together uh, I don't know if that would come back in but uh, that's one of the properties that was leased that's back home so um I this was a great movie I loved it yeah absolutely well it's time we're what in our top big 3s here is that one? Yeah I don't think I'm going to surprise anyone here, Thor. <laughs> um, the things I love about this movie, the moments in this movie that nearly brought me to tears are the moments I didn't get from Captain America First Avenger. When I first, in First Avenger, when I first see Cap in costume, it's a montage. When I first see Thor in costume, he's in Asgard. When that, the camera pans up and we just see Asgard. And the first time I saw it in the cinema, it was 3D and the digital stuff was brilliant. Uh, I think Kenneth Branagh was great. I would love him to come back. I don't think he's attached for Ragnarok. I don't know if they've announced that yet. But I think his history with Shakespeare helped him weave the web of Asgard correctly and be able to handle the stuff on Earth to what I thought was handled great. Even the stuff with, with Natalie Portman keeps running into Th running over Thor with a car. I thought it was hysterical, but I don't think I've been excited in a Marvel movie as much as I was at the end of this movie when, uh, he re earns Milner. I jumped out of my chair, fist bumped and got, I, the whole crowd was cheering the first show but my video uh, designer was sitting next to me and he was like, what the hell is your problem? <laughs> it was like, you know, the Cleveland Indians just won the world series for me. <laughs> it was so, that moment was so awesome. I loved it. Loved it. Knew it was coming. Knew it was coming when he lost the hammer at the beginning of the movie, but it paid off so well for me. I loved it. 
Uh, it, it's so funny, man, because me and you have just more or less just kind of juxtaposed our Captain America and Thor love. My, I am it. I'm definitely in the minority. Trust me. Uh, well, I I just loved First Avenger. That was my number three, and mainly because of the music. <laughs> Again, you know, I have very small points separating all of these films uh, in terms of a scoring, uh, but. Uh, there's no more solid of a person that you can bring the feeling of patriotism and America than Alan Silvestri. And, mm. and, uh, those were the moments that, that, that really hit me. I admit the whole bonds thing bugged the hell out of me. <laughs> I don't need it. And especially when I was listening at the end credits and cause I'm waiting on the teaser or whatever. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and it's like, Oh my God, you're going to make me hear that musical number again. Yeah. yeah. That, that sucked. Um, but I don't think that was totally his whole doing. I mean, I know he had to write it, but they obviously the script called for it. So I can't blame him. He did as good a job with it as he could, but, um, I loved Tommy Lee Jones, uh, and as a Game of Thrones uh, fan for many years uh, of the television show anyway, anytime I get to see Natalie Dormer on screen, I'm just going to go crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, and and uh, Dumb Dumb, now uh, folks that uh, l- watch the shows that I'm watching for this podcast, uh, the, uh, the guy, uh, Neil, what's his last name? I can't remember his last name that plays Dumb Dumb. Uh, he plays Damien Dark uh, on Arrow. McDonough. Yeah, Neil McDonough plays Damien Dark on the new uh, on Arrow, and he's oh. doing just a fantastic job as Damien Dark. I think, um, very very scary. Um, so it was good to see him uh, having uh, the guy who plays Walter Frey from Game of Thrones. Uh, he he's that guy in the beginning that uh, Hugo Weaving kills uh, to get the Tesseract. Um, so a lot of great just stars in this film that I think helped elevate it for me as well. And I really liked the writing of this. Um, and I wasn't aware of any differences or anything. So I, the, the, the whole plane thing was very emotional for me. And I, I just love that film. It's, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's my number eight. Because of my expectations, I still love it. I mean, the grenade bit was genius. That's Captain America. Yes. Yeah. And the trash can in the alleyway, that's Captain America. That's who Steve Rogers is. And and some of those parts they nailed. But I agree with you. The Bonds thing, too long. Yeah. Too much. You could have cut that down and had him go out in front of the troops and realize, hey, you know what? I am pretty much useless for what I want to do. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, I love the movie. It's just it it falls behind some of the newer releases for me. Understood. Well, this will be very interesting because as we get to our top two, I wonder if they'll be any different. Um, uh-huh. My number two's Marvel's The Avengers. Um, seeing which, obviously, now you know my number one. But um, yeah, mine too. <laughs> yeah, because mine is the same. <laughs> seeing. Everything Joss brought to us in the Avengers, first time ever seeing a helicarrier, seeing the group get together and the whole dynamic, Thor 
hitting Captain America's hammer or uh, shield with his hammer. Um, the battle with Thor and Iron Man. I, I'm just trying to go through it through my head, but the movie is so, so strong. And to have this many characters established coming into it and have it work so well is mind-blowing to me. I have no idea how Joss did it. I have no idea how he did it either, but he did. I do know that the end result was absolutely brilliant. So much better to me than Age of Ultron. Um, and again, music helps us a great deal. Alan Silvestri right there again, the two films that he's worked on. Just amazing. Um, he never really got too much in your face with this one, but it would, it all impacted everything you saw. And God, this film looked beautiful. Like you said, all the things that we saw with the helicopter, with the helicarrier and everything, plus the introduction of Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, um, the, the, the tension that's between the group developing into the, the reluctant team developing into a great team. Uh, that was just all so fantastically done in terms of a story and seeing this group come together. And, uh, the, like I said, the visual effects just killed me. I mean, this one, there's only a two point difference between this one and what is obviously going to be for both of us Winter Soldier, uh, for me that like this one got a 92 and Winter Soldier got a 94, you know, because all of these films are really that good, but it, it just, this was the first one I think that I actually saw in the theater also. So I got the big screen experience of a Marvel film and, and, um, that probably impacted me as much as anything else as well. Yeah. Um, and the iconic moments, which, you know, at the end of age of Ultron, Steve looks at the new group and he goes Avengers and they cut. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why <laughs> just give us that? <laughs> but, it's the antithesis of that in this. We get that pan around camera angle of all of, you know, Cap adjusts his shield, Tony flexes his shoulders, you know, Hawkeye draws a, an arrow. And I, I, that scene in New York was crazy. And then Cap starts doing exactly what Cap does in the comics. He's like, you know, Thor, I need you on that tower. Iron Man go, you know, go scout around. Hawkeye, I need you on high ground. Uh, Widow, you and I are going to stay down here and handle the ground situation. Hulk smash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's exactly, you can tell Joss grew up reading comics. He grew up reading the Avengers. He knows these characters. And that's what one of the things that makes this movie so strong. And there's some other franchises that haven't quite got there. I think they're gonna, but they're not quite there. And it shows in those movies. There, there's a passion for the characters and the history of the characters and reflecting um, who those characters are. And he nails it in this. And he nails it with each character. The weakest character in the group is Hawkeye. And that's because he's mind-controlled most of the movie. Yeah, I love that you brought back that, that whole thing about the circle shot, because when I compare that to a similar shot in uh, in Ultron, where they're all at the church, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one had so much impact because it was like the team is here. And that one was much, much more like, well, the team is, is working together. 
but it, it didn't have the same impact for me as like the team is here with that with that one particular shot. It just uh, it said everything about what this movie was about that one single shot. And I don't know if he was uh, if he had decided to try and recreate that in Ultron or if he if he, you know or if it was pressure from the studio or or what but nothing says more about you know the establishment of that team than that shot and it was uh emotionally very powerful absolutely absolutely and the the when we did the film list on this there's a shot i mentioned and i think you agreed with me on it it's a like a one camera shot that literally is panel to panel in a comic book when they're in the Battle of New York, and I can't recall where it starts, but I think it's when Black Widow hoists Cap up, or no, Cap hoists Black Widow up, and she's on the alien-like bike. Right. And it just starts with her, and she goes through, and then it leads to Thor, leads to Hulk, leads to Tony, and it, it ends up back with Cap. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing shot. And again, so much better than, uh, I mean, I love the Age of Ultron shot where they're all jumping over and it does look like a comic book cover. It just literally mm -hmm. does when you can see all of them. But they, it's almost like they tried to do that at the opening of the movie going between all of them with, uh, Black Widow and Clint riding in the Jeep and Hulk screaming by and Iron Man going by and then Cap going by in the bike. And it just seemed a little clunky as compared to how beautiful this one came out. Agreed. Uh, although I do love Cap flipping, breaking the motorcycle, flipping it, and throwing it into the tank. That was awesome. That, 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 that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I will admit. I will admit. So we've established now that we were our number one for both of us is Winter Soldier, and I want to hear why you think so, and then I'll tell you why I think so. Um, right out of the gate, Chris Evans became Cap in this. I, he was on his way, I think, with Avengers, but clearly. Right out of the gate, we get Captain America as Steve Rogers, Captain America, because Sam Wilson's cap in the books right now. Um, but we get the Steve Rogers from the comic books in that opening segment when they're on the boat. Boom, right out of the gate. Did he wear a parachute? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did not. And by the way, his shield is made of vibranium, which means it absorbs the shock. And dissipates the shock, which is why, like, when Thor's hammer, Milner comes down on, on Cap Shield, it doesn't, it blows everything around him away, but it doesn't affect him. Right. So that's, that's a big point to keep in mind with Cap Shield. Um, but they, Evans got it. Not that he didn't get it before, but he's very comfortable in the boots right now in this movie. That said, I think this script is crazy good. This is, um, Three Days of the Condor, intense to me, which is an old 70s movie. Yeah. I, there's so much to talk about in this. The, the Nick Fury bit, the introduction of Bucky, uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, when, when Cap realizes, and he has, Bucky has no idea, and Cap is absolutely devastated. It calls back to, uh, in the, have you read Civil War, the book? Uh, I, I'm, I've been piecing through it. I, I'm, okay. I'm only about, cause I'm reading all of the, I went to the, the, the Marvel site, uh, and when I subscribed, I started reading. I think I'm about 20 issues in. I know I'm at Civil War 3. Okay. So. 
There's a bit, I don't know, I haven't read it in probably three years. I need to read it before the movie again. But um, there's a bit with the Punisher there with Captain America that is jaw-dropping. And that's how I felt when this happened in the books with Bucky. And I think they reflected it perfectly. It was brief, but it was impactful for me. Wow. Really, really strong for me. It was as impactful as seeing Asgard or as seeing uh, a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier lift off or even seeing the floating cars in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when that first took off. Uh, Lola. <laughs> These are just iconic moments that I've waited my life to see. And to see a, a comic I've been reading since the 70s, see a character come to life so strongly and so well done in a movie that arguably could have been up for an Oscar. I don't remember what it was up again or what was up that year, but um, it was a really, really well done movie for me. Yeah. Oh man. I'm telling you the little writing motifs that happen throughout the whole film that really come together in the end battle between cap and, and, and Buck like, you know, end of the line, you know, um, and, and the line that just absolutely killed me, uh, you're my friend, you're my mission. I nearly died. Yeah. I just nearly yeah. died when that happened. I was, oh. it was just so, uh, emotionally impactful. I, you, maybe that's somewhat execution dependent, but that has to be the most brilliant seven, eight syllables ever. Yeah. In a film. And it it just said so much about all of it. Um, every shot that these Russo brothers put together, every single shot had impact. Every shot mattered. There was nothing that was wasted in this film to me at all. Um, nitpicking this film for me, I, I couldn't do it because I'm not well enough versed in the comic book universe, but I find it impossible for me to be able to nitpick this film because I just felt like every moment mattered and especially down to the music score. Let me tell you something. There are very few composers today, Hans Zimmer being one of them, but there are very few composers today who can find the most simple of single intervals and make it say so much in different contexts throughout the film. And it's where you go from the root, of the chord up to the minor seventh of of the chord melody wise and then you stack you you support that with different chords underneath it that is what happened with with Henry Jackman in this film he took one simple motive and he made it mean different things throughout the whole course of the film not because of lack of creativity just the opposite he actually used more creativity with a single interval than i've ever heard any other film score do ever um hmm. and uh i can sit and i can put my dvd player in and or my dvd into my dvd player and i can just listen to the menu score and cry that because it's such a massive achievement of music and 
it, and it was not overdone in any single spot. I loved the, in the opening sequence how he went to that, um, in moments and he blended electronic music with it. Um, and the startling difference between when Cap is in action and when, uh, when Black Widow is in action, all of that meant so much to me. Um, and places where he, you know, for the actual fighting, Jackman just drops out. And I don't know who, whether that was Russo's, the Russo brothers choice or whether that was Jackman's, but it was the perfect choice. Whoever made mm. that decision was absolutely spot on with that. And, uh, Robert Redford for crying out loud. Oh. What an amazing Alexander Pierce that was. I just, oh man, it was so fantastic. Um, the whole running gag between, uh, Black Widow and, and Cap about finding him a, a date. <laughs> Especially right after she kicks Sitwell off of the building and then they're talking about it. I just died, man. That was fantastic. I, and that's, that's such a reflection too on the characters because they're, this is a day at the job for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they reflect that so beautifully. I love it. Yes. Ah. Oh. And you know the the cameo, the Easter egg on the Robert Redford stuff, right? Did you hear about this? I'm not sure I'm aware. So at Redford's house, when uh, Winter Soldier's there mm-hmm. and the lights are out and the maid leaves, when Redford goes to the fridge to get milk, the prop designer put a bottle of Newman's own so that Paul Newman and Robert Redford could appear on screen one more time. Oh, my goodness. If if you freeze it at just the right moment or you Google it, someone's screen capped it. It's really hard to see, but there's a shelf of Newman's own salad dressing on the on the shelf in the fridge. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. That is I, awesome. That, that just that attention to detail on that is amazing. I love that. You know, that I'm gonna harp on this movie too much, but the elevator fight. There's what, nine guys in there with, with Steve? Yeah. And he just destroys them. <laughs> I, I get, here's the thing. I get previous to this movie, people not understanding how badass Captain America is. If you sit down and watch this movie and you don't think he's one of the strongest characters in the Marvel universe, I think there's something mentally wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Evie, he gets stuck by those stunners two or three yeah. times for yeah. long periods of time. It doesn't go out. I mean, that's yeah. just, the stamina of that guy and then the choice and and again that's that's a moment where that interval comes in when he jumps through the glass yeah you know we're it's just amazing the way the score really accentuated patriotism and soul searching at the same time i don't know how some guys can find a way to subliminally create uh some of the things that Jackman created in this, I, I, he 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 did the impossible, and uh, it, it was either through a choice of timbre, be it the horns or the strings, depending on what was who was doing what in in terms of the melodies. Uh, it depended on, and I hate to keep harping on the music, but this to me is one of the reasons why I'm so excited for Civil War because Jackman is back, the Rousseau brothers nice. are back. This is going to be yeah. a fantastic film. There, I do have a Matt's Tomato on this film, but we'll get back to that. I don't know if if you've read any of the reviews yet on Civil War, but everybody's saying it's a, it's the best so far. So we'll get to that. But my Matt's Tomato and uh, 
this is more or less because I'm a fan of Cap and I've read, you know, the, I've read all of the books except maybe 200 under 200 issues under volume one, which I'm still burning through. But, um, it, I was really disappointed. I understand why, but I was really disappointed that Red Wing for Falcon was, uh, uh, a, a, a droid, if you will. It, Red Wing, the character, Falcon, the character, has a bird that flies with him everywhere. And he communicates telepathically with the bird, and the bird's used to scout, and the bird's named Red Wing. And it still exists in the, in the comics and everything, but in the movie they made it, um, like a droid, a, 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 a robot, bird kind of thing that he uses to scout out stuff mm. that disappointed me that's that's one of my matt's tomatoes i get why they did it it just because it's probably it potentially could change down the road marvel comics fans you know what i'm talking about now that we have black panther on board but um i i really wanted it to be more traditional i get why they didn't it it's that that would be the only problem i have with with the way this was represented Falcon, I thought was outstanding. That's the one thing that, that still bugs me. And, and maybe it'll change. We'll see. Yeah. So I can't wait to see, you know, how Winter Soldier plays into this, uh, into this next installment. Um, and like you said, you know, having seen this film and being so impacted by it really is what made me decide to go to watch Agents of Shield. I mean, I, I know you've been tweeting at me about it for a long time. Uh, and I've, taken you know somewhat of a casual interest in it but i never really watched episodes of the show back to back to back and um i thought that the way they did the whole the whole storyline around this film in that television show was beautiful as well i agree i agree and agents of shield starts out slow which you'll have with a lot of television shows because the crew that wrote the pilot if you know, there's that little window there before the pilot gets picked up. Well, those writers have to go work so they can eat. Right. So it's in television, it's very difficult to get the team back together, which is one of the things that's brilliant about what Netflix is doing. They're green light in 13 episodes and seeing how it works. Um, Fox, there was a CEO over at Fox television that was going to try and do the same thing. And he ended up not staying with the company, but that would have been in, there's this ingrained system in television that's counterproductive to continuity in a television show in that your pilot could be completely different from episode two because it's, it could be a completely different crew and that's important, the continuity of that. Mm -hmm. So maybe that down the road will change. We'll see. But, um, agents of shield, it, it starts out, a little difficult, but I think it gets its legs and it's really strong right now. And they've, they've introduced an entire different area of the Marvel universe on that show. So with the, the whole talk about winter soldier, why don't we move on to what we're looking forward to next? And that's the movie that's coming out in just a couple of weeks here. Um, we're looking at captain America civil war and, and so much of what I've read in the, that I've read of, of the comic book thing seems to rely, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but it seems to be, uh, similar to, um, this really basically this difference of, of philosophy between Steve Rogers and, and Tony Stark as to 
um, being held accountable for the kinds of things that have happened. Um, because, you know, the Avengers go and take on this thing. But my whole thing, and I understand exactly where, where Cap is coming from, is why in the world, I mean, there would be no world if they hadn't stepped in. So it's, it's, it, yep. there, the, 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 the accountability thing, um, I understand, uh, Tony's seemingly side that we do need to be held accountable. I think that actually in Ultron, Steve Rogers makes a very similar point, right? He's like, when, when the, when the, they're going in to go after Ultron, he says, we have to make sure that we clear all of the civilians out first. Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm very interested to see how this story plays out and how much the, the Winter Soldier, you know, by the teasers, it looks like the Winter Soldier is finally recovered. Um, well, the end of the, I guess it was, was it the end of, I don't remember which film, but I think it was, was at the end of Ant-Man where Falcon had found, uh, Bucky? Yeah. And I, I think what that represents is that Bucky failed shop class. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I'm, I'm being a, a jerk. Yeah. That's, that's the end of Ant-Man. <laughs> right on. Uh, but what are you looking forward to in in this upcoming film, uh, folks, we are going to talk about trailers that we've seen in this film or for this film also. So if you want to remain completely spoiler free about Captain America, Civil War or any of the other trailers of upcoming Marvel Universe films, this is the time to bail out again. Follow at Glenn Ewing on Twitter. He is the source for so many great things. Oh, thank um, you, man. And uh Again, thanks so much for joining me. But we are going to talk about uh, Captain America: Civil War now. So let's uh, let's dive in, man. Based on what the trailers you've seen, is there anything you're wary of? Is there anything you're super excited for? Uh, wow. Um, well, I, the movie itself and the press is is being very kind. But I, I know some folks that work over with Disney, and they've seen it, and they're like, I can't tell you anything about it. There's stuff in there that is going to just absolutely blow your mind the fights are as comic booky but as well done as anything you've ever seen the in the trailer the whole airport thing i think it's in germany where it's literally uh team shellhead against team cap and they're running at each other the people i've talked to that have seen it they said it may be 15 minutes of the best cinema you're ever going to see so I'm really hyped about that. I don't want to get that too big in my head or it'll be the first Avenger again. But, um, I, I, I'm curious with what we've seen, why Stark is on the side he's on. If you go back to Iron Man, the government's trying to take his suit. He's always had a healthy distrust of the government. The, the logic in mean, would say that he doesn't know what happened in Winter Soldier, but he has to know. He's Tony Stark. He's essentially DC's Batman. He's got computers everywhere, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious how that's going to work out, why he is on that side. And apparently it's supposed to be a, a legitimate, solid basis for it. But I don't, logically, I don't see how it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm a little concerned about the fact, and, and again, uh, 
like you said, you have friends at Disney who can't tell you anything about it, but we've gotten an awful lot of footage (laughs) in, in, in the trailers and even they've released, you know, scenes because they're going to have to anyway because the actors are going out promoting the the movie so they got to bring a scene with them to you know say the late night show or whatever um so that makes perfect sense um but i'm getting so much of it um and i realize that as i understand it's going to be a pretty long film like two and a half hours right i as i understand it yeah i haven't seen a running time so um that being said um I feel like I'm getting a lot of the bullet points and I don't know if I want them, <laughs> you know, because I want to be surprised or whatever. I'm very, very distraught by the fact that it seems like Black Widow is fighting for Iron Man because I'm not I'm team Black Widow. I hope that she just beats the crap out of Captain America and Iron Man and tells them to get their, <laughs> uh, their crap straight. But I know that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in, in a perfect world, it would it would be we would make Black Widow the leader of the Avengers. Um, and, uh, I hope, I hope one thing that I do hope is that we see some fallout, um, from the fact that, that Bruce left her because that was very sad for me at the end of Ultron. Yeah. Um, footnote, IMDB has it at 147 minutes. Um, it's long. Yeah. Yeah. I, Feige had said that with future Marvel, Marvel trailers, you will not be seeing much at all from act three and most of act two. So most of the stuff we're supposed to be seeing in the trailers is from the beginning of the movies. Hmm. Whether that's true, I don't know. Uh, I think it clearly is with Dr. Strange, but with uh civil war, there is so much out there and it, I agree with you. It almost seems like we're seeing the whole story, but I already know the story, <laughs> not from spoilers, but from reading the book. Right. Um, And there's a, Depending on how close they're going to the book, the end of the book is, is huge in the Marvel universe. So we'll see how close they stay to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, this, I, I'm trying to put my head around all the little bullet points in the trailers and there's just so much, like you've said, the the fight with Bucky and Cap and Tony where they're tossing the shield back and forth. Hmm. That just looks incredible, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Scarlet Witch using her magic on vision yeah. where he's kind of being crushed down to the ground in the Avengers building footnote, by the way, those two get married in Marvel comics. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Early on in, I think eighties, maybe nineties, those two are a couple. So, when when the first trailer came out, I tweeted a bunch of pictures, screen caps from the trailer, and the one I had of that scene, I said, "Vision didn't do his chores." <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I'm just getting I'm getting all my hopes ruined. Black Widows with everybody from Daredevil to Bruce Banner. <laughs> it's comic. Scarlet, Scar- <laughs> Scarlet, Scarlet Witch is you know she's got a guy that just won't quit. So I, I got no chance there, man. <laughs> no, but seriously, I, 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 uh, I love all the little insights. I, I, do you have, I, I, the one thing that I looked at and, and again, this, this may be being really nitpicky and not knowing enough about characters like Black Panther and that, um, are there changes? Are there differences in who's on what side? Honestly, I don't remember. I got to go back and revisit the book. I think what, and that actually, 
I can't believe we haven't talked about him yet, but um, Spidey yeah. starts with Iron Man and in the book flips. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But, um, gosh, I can't remember the sides now. I got to go back and revisit the, the book. Um, but, uh, you know, going back on the Spider-Man thing, how amazing, no pun intended, was that? I mean, in the second trailer. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Underoos. <laughs> <laughs> that was a huge, uh, thing for me because uh, I knew that you had told me that there was a possibility that Spider-Man would be in this film but I uh, I didn't know how well the Spider-Man franchise has been to me at least inconsistent at best and so uh, I wasn't really sure how I felt about it but at least in, in this respect at least in this little teaser, teaser that you got of him in the second trailer um I'm kind of excited to see him there. And now having read at least the first part of the Civil War story, I see how integral uh, they could make Spider-Man, whether they will or not. That's another question. Yeah. Um, well, the Sony handling of Spider-Man has been poor. Um, the The deal in 2015, I think it was, with Sony and Marvel to allow Spider-Man into the actual MCU um, that, that might, it might be better to talk about that if we get into the Bob Iger thing, but, um, that's a huge door and this is going to be a huge jumping point for the other studios to try and cooperate with Marvel in the same way. There's in the run of civil war, there's one moment when Steve Rogers goes to Xavier's mansion from the X-Men and Wolverine meets him at the gate and I don't remember under what run it was. It might have just been under Ed Brubaker's Captain America series. And Wolverine says, look, we've been fighting this battle as mutants against humans. You guys have ostracized us. We're still dealing with this. You guys get to handle this on your own. And he turns around and he walks away from Steve. Wow. But you could get those moments if Fox would cooperate. The other thing is also... Reed Richards is a huge portion of what's going on at this time in the comic books. And he's locked over at Fox. So if the Spider-Man homecoming movie works out and this, this handshaking that Disney and Sony are doing works and Feige can finagle this to work with Fox. Can you imagine George Clooney as Reed Richards? Whoa. That would be amazing. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and we're dealing with, we're heading into the point where we're getting the Illuminati, which is this group of super brains, which are Tony Stark, uh, I think Submariner's in there, uh, Black Pan Panther's in there, Doctor Strange is in there, Reed Richards, and they start making decisions for the world in the way that you would assume the Illuminati do. And they're doing it behind the backs of all the superheroes. In this like closed, you know, secret meeting kind of thing. Beast is in there too from the X-Men. So I, the, the, the possibility if Spider-Man Homecoming is as big a hit as both Sony and Marvel are hoping, I think the possibility of getting at least the Fantastic Four a, a similar deal is strong. I don't think they're going to lean towards the X-Men, but there's a possibility of that happening too. 
And there's a huge comic book series where the Avengers fight the X-Men. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, given the, the, the casting and everything, um, I know that there are still a lot of films slated, but maybe this brings us to our discussion about Bob Iger. Um, what's the feasibility? I, I, I mean, I know that, uh, Robert Downey Jr. has not really, uh, committed to anything in terms of an Iron Man 4, right? As far as I know, yeah. He's in for at least one of the Infinity War movies, Avengers Infinity War, if not both. Right. And he, he, Sony just worked out a deal. He's going to at least, have a cameo in Spider-Man Homecoming, which is cool because uh, that was one of – they had to screen test the actor whose name escapes me. He was playing Spider-Man. They had to screen test him with both Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans because he's a, he's a big factor in not just this movie but in the Marvel Universe. And they wanted to make sure those three worked together well. Wow. Right on. So um, – yeah, I mean the the upcoming movies, the slate is is ridiculous. Uh, Doctor Strange, you've seen the trailer. Oh my gosh, folks, we're <laughs> we're going to talk about that for a moment. I cannot think of a more perfect casting than Benedict Cumberbatch. Now that I've I, seen that, you know, it's just like this looks freaking incredible. It's maybe the the one movie um, that. I would camp out to get tickets for. Of course, you don't have to do that anymore. Now you can get them online. But uh, I, you know, thinking back to when we were kids, you know, the way I would uh, stand out to to watch a film like uh, the Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, this this is the movie that maybe will just totally sell me as a Marvel guy over a DC guy. Not. Sorry, folks. I know that we're a pr primarily a DC pod television podcast, so don't think that I'm stabbing you in the back, but I am so excited for this film. It looked absolutely incredible. It it does, and uh, let me jump back real quick. In defense of what's going on with DC, they're still dealing with the big machine, and Marvel doesn't have that restriction anymore. Um, and that, that'll come into play in the Bob Iger thing. All right. Um, I don't want to belittle what Marvel is doing, but DC will get there. Right. For example, the director, Patty Jenkins, was originally going to do Thor Dark World, and she left because of creative differences. Hmm. Uh, she is now doing Wonder Woman, and she's a fantastic director. I wish she would have done Thor Dark World, but it ended up with Alan Taylor. But Patty Jenkins on Wonder Woman... That's huge for DC. That's a great thing to look forward to. And Wonder Woman's one of their best characters, in my opinion, hands down. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what they're doing with Aquaman, but we'll see. Right. We'll see. Right on. But, but that on the, on the Doctor Strange thing, man, this, the beautiful thing that Marvel's been doing over these 12 movies, including the Netflix stuff as well, is, and you see it strongly in Ant-Man, and you see it really strongly in Winter Soldier. Yes, Winter Soldier is a superhero movie, but it's also a spy thriller. And yes, Ant-Man is a superhero movie, but it's a heist film. Mm -hmm. What Doctor Strange does now is it, we're starting to deal with dimension travel, magic. Literally, Strange sees things that, like when you're walking down the street, there's demons hovering over your head. And he sees all this, if he wants to. So... 
we're starting to really expand the universe with this movie. And they could not have gotten a better actor. He's perfect. Perfect for Stephen Strange. Yeah. I've loved Benedict Cumberbatch in just about any role I've ever, ever seen him in. Of course, there's the iconic Sherlock thing, but uh just just think about anything that he's done, even and it's certainly not my favorite of the films, but even uh, Desolation of Smog. I, I just can't imagine anybody else but him being the dragon. He, he was he was perfect. Yeah, he was awesome. And th- for anyone who's not familiar with the character, Dr. Strange, a brief origin, which they kind of touch on in the trailer. Well, they kind of really sp- spell it out for you in the trailer, but he's a brilliant surgeon. I think he's based in New York, if I recall, but he also is the kind of guy who there'll be two people that need an operation. One of them can't pay him and the other one can, and he'll let the guy who can't pay him die Mm. and work on the guy that can pay him. That's the kind of guy he is. He gets in a car wreck, it destroys his hands, and he literally spends his entire fortune traveling around the world trying to find a way to fix his hands. And cue the music. (laughs) That's where the the movie's going to come into play. Right on. Very cool. Oh, he's going to discover something. Oh, yes. (laughs) And something's going to discover him. Yeah. Now, outside of Doctor Strange, is there any other film that's slated that you're looking forward to? Or are you just looking forward to all of them and hoping that they all do as well as some of the past ones have? I I am. Honestly, I'm looking forward to all of them. I'm curious where they're going to go with some of them. the one that uh I'm really, really interested in is Thor Ragnarok. Again, yeah. Kevin Feige has said that means the end of all, which could lead Thor into into that series of the Marvel comics I was talking to you about where he recreates Asgard on Earth, which would be an amazing story if they do that. However, um Mark Ruffalo is in the movie and he has described the script as Midnight Run. Really? And if you know that movie, it's a bounty hunter trying to take his guy back to justice. And if that's what the movie's like, I'm thinking maybe Hulk's the bad guy. And that might lead us into a little Marvel comic series called Planet Hulk. And I'll just leave that on the table. Anybody who wants to know about it, Google it. Because it's pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> wow. The interesting thing for me is, uh, you know, where we left off with, with Dark World, I mean, di- I don't know if I'm supposed to assume that Loki killed Odin. Is that what we're supposed to assume? I don't know. I don't know. I, and with the people Loki hangs out with, maybe Odin's just banished. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm hoping. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want Odin to be dead. I can't imagine he is. I don't know if he's signed, if, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins has signed on. Well, yeah. But, but again, I mean, there's only so far Loki will go with those illusions before, I mean, that's his downfall. Right. He gets, he gets sloppy. But the other thing we're dealing with too. So Thanos is in love with death. Literally death is a character in Marvel. And death is in love with Deadpool. It's complicated. <laughs> I'll say this is much worse than anybody's Facebook status. <laughs> but but um there've been little subtle lines in some of the postscript with Thanos like, you know, trying to fight the Avengers is like courting death and Thanos looks at the camera and grins. 
So there's little, you know, tidbits like that that if you read the books, you'll get. But when we're dealing with Thor and Asgard, we're also dealing with hell. We're dealing with the different realms, like the frost giants and things like that. So there's any number of ways they could go with Ragnarok. Yeah. But it's also doing what Doctor Strange does with the Thor environment is opening up other areas. You know, different characters can come in through that. You know, you could get, start dealing with power cosmics and things like that coming into play. Um, How do the guardians of the galaxy get to earth if they're going to fight Ultron or are the Avengers take or fight Thanos? I'm going to do that the rest of my life. Um, If they're going to be involved in the fight against Thanos, how is that all going to come together? Is it through, Something in Asgard. Is it through Doctor Strange opening dimensional portals? Are they going to have Reed Richards, you know, with his dimensional devices? Mm. It's it's all going to be interesting to see how this plays out and how it ties together with the comics, if it does at all. The other one that looks outstanding and I'm excited as heck for is Black Panther because that character's up. He's a bad, 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 bad. He's a badass. <laughs> So, I mean, that looks great. Um, the other thing that's probably not on a lot of people's radar, and it's signed for pilot at ABC, is a comic called Damage Control. Damage Control is an insurance c- company that comes in and cleans up after the superhero fights. Hmm. And it's there's four runs. I think you could buy the digital bundle. I would imagine they're in Marvel Unlimited. But... This has bothered me since, as a comic fan, since Superman the movie with Chris Reeves. When he is chasing the the jewel thieves and he gets them on the boat and the guy hits him with a crowbar and he's like, bad vibrations, that whole bit. Yeah. And then Superman picks up the boat and he drops it in the middle of the street in Metropolis, right in front of the police department. And then he flies away. Right. (laughs) And I'm sitting there in in the cinema going... Who the hell's going to move the boat? <laughs> what a what a dick! <laughs> That's essentially what damage control's about, and they're saying it's going to be in the vein of like The Office. It's going to be a comedy. Wow, that so, that would be interesting. That would be very yeah. interesting. It's and and uh, DC has something similar. I'm not familiar with the the book though. I don't know if it's based off a book or if it's something they're writing strictly for television. Very cool. You, you know, you mentioned Black Panther, and I'm excited to because I know nothing about that character. But I have to say, when I look at that costume, and, and please forgive me for being nitpicky, but it looks like some kind of dude with a leather fetish. <laughs> or a latex fetish, I guess. But take into account also that uh, adamantium and vibranium come from his island. Okay. So adamantium is what is on... Wolverine's skeleton. That's what makes his claws metal. Okay. Instead of bone. That's why when, in that brief moment, when Black Panther's pulling on Cap Shield, it's actually scarring Cap Shield. Wow. Yeah. So his claws are adamantium. <laughs> right on. That, that'll intrigue you a little bit. Yeah. Plus, he's also, he's pretty amazing in, in combat. Cool. And he's, he's the king of the country. So. Ah, right on. Now, the the vibranium that they found in Ultron, what was that country? Wakanda? That's Wakanda. That's Black Panther's country. That's Black Panther's country. Okay. Right. 
it, Andy Serkis' character in that is one of Black Panther's main villains. Really? Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. So they're weaving quite a web here. Yes, they are. A much more extensive web than I was uh, even aware of. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but could it all go away? I mean, you, you, we talked before that we started recording this, this whole thing with, with Bob Iger. Uh, should we be worried about the future of the cinematic Marvel universe or should we be encouraged? What do you think? Well, let's start at the beginning with, uh, Bob Iger coming in. First of all, his contracts through 2018. And this is going to get a little businessy, guys, and I apologize, but it's important. If you're a fan of Marvel, if you're a fan of Pixar, if you're a fan of Star Wars and Lucasfilm, this is a very important thing that's going on right now. Um, Bob Iger's contracts through 2018. Alan Horn, who's the, the head of uh, Walt Disney Films, is only there because of Iger. The man's 73, and he's wanted to step down. <clears throat> the guy who was earmarked to replace Bob Iger has run into a problem with uh, everyone's guessing it's with the board of directors at Disney. His name's Tom Staggs and he's leaving the company on May 6th. And he's the guy who everyone had earmarked to replace Bob Iger in 2018. The reason this is a major problem potentially is when Bob Iger took over at Disney as CEO the first call he made was to his parents and his kids and then a couple of friends. And then he called Steve Jobs to pen, to mend fences because back in 2004, uh, Disney had a distribution deal with, with, uh, Pixar. Steve Jobs owned Pixar, which to nerd out a little bit, George Lucas created Lucas animation, sold it to Jobs and they became Pixar. Um, Steve Jobs and Michael Eisner pretty much hated each other across the board. And Eisner kept putting Pixar movies out in the worst time slots. So they weren't making the market that they should hmm. and could. So eventually Steve Jobs said, enough, we're going to find new distribution. And Disney lost distribution of Pixar, which was pretty huge. Yeah. So when Bob Iger came in, that's the first fence he tried to mend. And one of the things that launched that mending was getting Desperate Housewives and Lost on iTunes. That was a huge part of it. But he also sat down with Jobs and Jobs explained to him that part of the acquisition of buying Pixar would require that John Lasseter over at Pixar became the chief creative officer and remained in place and reported directly to Bob Iger. Um, why that's important is because what Steve Jobs stressed to Bob Iger is I've got brilliant people here in place. If you let them, if you leave the Disney machine out of it and let them present you with product, you will just sit down, sit there and make money. If you let the Disney machine get in the way of it, a la Lone Ranger, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, Mm. you will have problems and you will start losing money. Uh, Bob Iger's adopted this not only with Pixar, but with Marvel and with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy answers directly to Bob Iger. Uh, Isaac uh, Perlmutter with Marvel answers directly to Bob Iger. 
what's recently happened with the shakeup with directors and the underlying problems with the MCU films is it's come out that Kevin Feige had to deal with, he had to kind of play goalie between the director and this group of people at Marvel under Isaac that were giving notes that were irrelevant or were changing major plot points. So Feige is now head of Marvel cinema answers to Alan Horn, head of Walt Disney studios who answers to Bob Iger. Hmm. So these companies are allowed Lucasfilm under Kathleen Kennedy is allowed to operate and make money and handle all of that independent of the Disney Buena Vista. The majority of that, they certainly can get assistance and, and help out as they can. But Lucasfilm is its own thing. Right. Marvel is its own thing. Marvel Cinema is now its own thing. Pixar is now its own thing. The problem we run into in 2018 is whoever replaces Bob Iger, if he indeed does leave, might not have that same philosophy. Yeah. And we could start ending up with pretty disastrous movies. Because the Disney machine is getting in the way. Exactly. Um, the rumbling was John Carter, Warlord of Mars, which was a really good movie, actually, if you watch it, that they took Warlord of Mars off because they wanted women to go see it. This is the marketing team at Disney. I had no idea it was John Carter, Warlord of Mars until I sat down and watched the movie. And I love those books. I would have been there opening night had I known. Yeah. It's that kind of thinking where you're more worried about getting giving an answer than giving the right answer. So that could be definitely, that could be a problem. Losing Alan Horn at Disney would be big too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something we need to keep an ear to the ground on. And I, anytime something like that comes up, I do tweet about it. So right on. And that's why you should follow at Glenn Ewing on Twitter. And Glenn, man, thank you so much for t taking a good portion of your Saturday afternoon uh, to record with me. I really appreciate your time and your great insight about all of these films. I had a blast uh, trying to do a countdown. We also want to thank Heath. Uh, that's at Heath Actor on Twitter. Uh, Heath Solo from The Film List for allowing us to, to put this on his feed as well. Um, Glenn, dude. Me and you got to get together more often and talk about this stuff. I'm your huckleberry, man. You let me know. Right. I love this. And take it two hours out of a Saturday to talk about this? Please. Pig and mud over here. Pig and mud. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, once again, folks, thanks so much for listening. And uh, you can always follow me at Save the City Pod or any number of uh, 17 other Twitter handles. Bye. <laughs>
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 